BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson, and uh, I have a very special guest today, Pastor Ben Graham, a Tennessee-based pastor, author, radio host, film producer, and, uh, you know, he has appeared in multiple movies and commercials, including leading roles in the film Fearless Faith, Pardoned by Grace, and most recently, Christmas at Keystone. And we'll discuss that a little bit more later on. He also serves on several boards, including SWAT, Sports World Against Trafficking, LTI, Let's Talk Interactive, and works with various organizations combating opioids and addictions of all types. He's also uh, been involved with President Trump's initiative for the White House Faith and Opportunity Team, holds a doctorate degree in temperament counseling, and is a licensed counselor. So you wonder if he has time for anything with all those things that he's involved in, but it's a fantastic. <laughs> well, Ben, uh, thanks for joining us today, and welcome. And uh, and let me just ask you, with a, with a name like Graham and being a pastor, people want to know, are you related to Billy Graham? Well, thank you, Dr. Garson, for having me on today. And there's a joke in our family. When you're born a Graham, it's congratulations, it's a preacher. And uh, so I think we have uh, about 28 preachers in our family. Um, and uh, yes, I, I am I am related. Um, we uh, uh, grew up, of course, my parents, uh, I was blessed. They just wanted us to serve God, never really uh, push or pressured us to becoming a preacher. But um, when I was a kid, I was probably 12. I told my dad I was never going to be a preacher. And I think that pretty much destined me to be a preacher because you never say never with God. I heard a, a guy one time, a missionary he said, he told God he would never go to Africa and guess where God sent him to Africa. And I heard that as a kid. And I said, that's how it works. I was like, all right, Lord, I'll never go to the Bahamas, J Jamaica, Hawaii. And God said, you're right. So <laughs> reverse psychology didn't work on the Lord. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Well, it must've been very interesting growing up uh, and the Graham family. And uh, how were you inspired to begin preaching at age 15, I understand? Well, growing up, I would travel. My brothers and I, we sang in a group, and we would go to all these different events and meetings, do a lot of youth events, and people would ask, do you preach? And I would always say no. And um, I was at a youth conference, um, 
And it was a Wednesday night. I'll never forget. It was in July um, when I was 15. And man, God just was really tugging at my heart. I felt him calling. And I remember saying, God, there's no way I can stand in front of people and, and, and preach. I mean, I, at this point, I'm singing in front of people. I've done skits and plays in front of people, but you know, preaching's a, it's a little more serious, I guess. And, and, uh, I just remember him, uh, really tugging to my heart. And I said, all right, Lord, if this is what you want, I think you're making a mistake, but I'll, I'll surrender, do whatever you want. So that night I surrendered. And the next day they allowed, uh, the, the preachers, uh, the young teenage preachers to have five minutes and, and preach a message. And so I signed up and I preached my first message the next day. It only went three minutes and 20 seconds. And that's been my most requested sermon just because of the length of time. But, uh, um, it was, um, you know, it just kind of from there, it, it the doors opened. Uh, two weeks later, I went with my dad to a pastor's conference and, uh, in the middle of this, on the way there, my dad was joking, said, hey, you better be ready. They'll want you to preach. And I said, yeah, whatever. It was like 700 pastors at this event. And the the main host of this event said, I heard uh, that uh, uh, Pastor Graham's son surrendered to preach. He goes, Ben, after this song, would you come and preach for 15 minutes? He goes, I'm sorry to limit you to this, you know, to 15 minutes. He said, I want to give the main speaker plenty of time, but everybody would love to hear you preach. Well, 15 minutes was like an eternity uh, to somebody that had only surrendered two weeks before, and especially to 700 pastors. But I got up there and, and uh, you know, I probably told some jokes and, uh, you know, tried to my best to think of every verse I had memorized and preached a message, probably told all the pastors, if you don't get saved, they're going to die and go to hell or something like that. And uh, made my way through that. And uh, uh, thankfully, uh, God used that to open a lot of doors and started preaching uh, as a teenager and, and, and getting to travel. And um, it was such a great opportunity. I'm very thankful for it. Well, when, when and why did you find uh, your first church? Well, I was serving uh, on staff with my father and um, he was a pastor and, and they had a Christian school and a Bible college and a good sized ministry. And one day the secretary was out of uh, the office for a little bit. She had something going on and she asked if I could uh, answer the phone. I said, sure, be glad to. So I was sitting in the office and a gentleman called me from New York and it wasn't uncommon because they had a, a Bible college there, you know, for people to call looking for pastors, looking for, you know, different staff positions. And this guy called and said, I'd love to talk to uh, he wanted to talk to my dad, and I said, well, he's not available right now. And, and then we just started talking, and it turned into a 45-minute conversation. And he said they were looking for a pastor. We were about to hang up, and he said, would you by chance, you know, would you pray and consider coming and at least preaching here for us? And I said, well, you know, I'll pray about it. And I thought this would be great. It was in New York, and um, I thought this would be a great trip. And so um, at that time, my wife and I, we just had our first son, and and so we ended up saying, yes, we'll come preach. And so we went out there to preach. Well, it turned into an invitation for me to become their pastor. And after praying about it, we decided to do this. This was just after 9-11. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a, um, I, you know, obviously a scary time in, in a sense. Uh, we still didn't know, you know, just what all was going to become of that. Uh, our oldest son, his first birthday was on 9-11. And so you know, there was just something pulling my heart to 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 head that direction. Now, we were in upstate New York. We weren't in the city, but we spent a lot of time in the city ministering to people and and trying to help people through that. And and I think it was just um, it was a great experience to go pastor up north. Um, and um, it was a different kind of culture. You know, uh, down south, we all say hi to everybody. And up there you say hi. And they're like, you know, wondering what you want from them. Uh, but it was great experience to learn that. 
Yeah. Well, I'd be curious to know what you think about the the revivals that we've heard about on some of the college campuses. Is that kind you of know, surprising to you? You know, um, well, it's funny. It's kind of like the uh, the little city that was you know had had a drought and they've been praying for rain, praying for rain, and they said, "Look, we're going to have one final." Uh, just all out prayer meeting. We want the whole town to come out and we're going to ask God, please send rain. Well, they all got there and they noticed one little girl who was seven years old. She came with an umbrella. You know, the rest of them were coming, hoping she came believing. And I think sometimes, you know, we pray and pray for God to send revival. And then when you hear of something happening, um, sometimes the religious crowd's more skeptic than anybody because, you know, they're thinking, well, is God really moving there? Um, but anytime I hear of God moving and working, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear about it. Um, you know, the way I guess people say, how do you know it's real or not? If it matches up with Bible, it's real. Um, and, and if God's being exalted, people are being saved, lives are being changed. You know, I believe it's real and it's been encouraging. I would love to see more of it. And I believe if you study out revival, most of the time revival comes, uh, usually from younger people. I mean, it usually starts with younger people. Um, it seems like that's been, uh, not always, but a lot of times, if you study out revival through history, it started with young people and, and, you know, the older folks bring so much wisdom. And I think a lot of churches have messed up because they only cater to the younger people and they miss the wisdom of the older folks, but the younger folks, we need them too. They bring the energy and really uh, bring a sense of, of, of security for the future. A lot of churches across the country are, are dying uh, because they're not reaching the next generation. And so we need that balance of both. And so I think it's exciting when you hear of God doing revivals, especially in younger people. And I think for those that are a little bit older in the faith, you know, fan the flame and encourage them uh, to keep seeking after God and and to truly get in his word. You know, it's not enough just to have a uh, an experience, a revival experience, but we also got to daily be growing in his word. That's where we're truly going to be discipled. And I think that's where it's going to last beyond a day or a moment, but can last for a lifetime. Yeah, I was talking to a psychiatrist a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about the record numbers of depressed individuals and pe- people with anxieties. And uh, that would seem to be like a perfect time to introduce them to the source of, of peace and joy. So I think there's probably a tremendous thirst out there. And yes. uh, people just have to stop until so timid about going out and exploiting that. But uh, so I also often, want to I ask we you do, on the, We water our faith down. You're right about that. Yeah, I want to ask you on the other side, are you surprised to see the, the depth of anti-Semitism and hatred on our college campuses? You know, the, the sad thing is for so long we have stopped – well, we've, we've stopped teaching truth. We've, we've, you know, gotten so politically correct. We've, um, we've moved to a place where, you know, and Bible predicts this or tells us this, but you know, where right is viewed as wrong and wrong is viewed as right. And, um, we have moved to a place that's really sad in our nation when we don't truly understand this. And, you know, and it's not just coming from the world. I, I tell people all the time, if the world acts like the world, that doesn't surprise me. It's when, quote, uh, quote unquote, Christians, you know, start doing things that that act like the world. That surprises me. And you hear of even ministries and churches and pastors who are, um, you know, who are spewing out things against the nation of Israel, um, God's chosen people. And I think it's it, it's really sad 
to see what's happening uh, in our nation. You know, I was blessed to, I've been to Israel many times. We were there earlier this year, my entire family, we, we lead tours and trips over there. Um, been over there and have a lot of friends there. And, you know, it's a sad thing. We don't, it doesn't matter what's, what side we don't want to see any innocent people being, uh, being killed, but you have to really understand the nature of what's going on in Israel. Um, and I remember years ago going there and a lot of even the Jewish people there said, you know, if we'll just give a little more land, we'll have peace. And, you know, they kept giving up land and there was never peace. And it was a constant, uh, struggle and a constant battle, uh, for them understanding that, you know, there is a group of people that want them completely, you know, wiped off the map. But I think it leads to where we're really at is we're in a all out spiritual warfare. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And and I think we're seeing that. And, and it feels like, um, you know, it feels like we're seeing it now more than ever, this onslaught of, of just spiritual warfare going on. And so, you know, it's it's been for years attacking the the, the family institute. It's been attacking, uh, you know, the enemy's infiltrated uh quote unquote, church houses. It's uh, gotten into the family, into our schools, into our higher education of learning, into our government. And uh, we as a nation have really turned a blind eye to the principles of God's word. And I think, you know, we've got to get back to that. That's my prayer, you know, with God on, uh, he's still on the throne. So there's always still hope, but uh, we're certainly in a mess. And, you know, um, we, we were doing some unbelievable things, um, in the former administration and not even, um, you know, I think sometimes I say this carefully, I don't know if president Trump knew realized all that he was doing, but you know, and, and I, I was in a HUD multiple times with you, uh, with a guy named Adam Youngblood who was involved in the faith team. Each, each department had kind of a faith director and, and, you know, we were, we were making some strides in those, uh, places of government to, tr- to try to put God first. And one of the initiatives that you guys did so well was you started helping the homeless through churches. And, you know, I look at it and, and, and this is my thought, the government doesn't need to, to start at all. Uh, we shouldn't rely on the government, but if churches would do what God's called us to do and caring for the widows and the orphans and really caring for people, getting back to educating people, even as we once did in our country, it would have such a profound impact. And so, you know, when I look at what's going on in our nation, I really I, I lay blame at at churches and pastors, especially who cowered away from preaching the truth. Just preach thus saith the Lord. And, you know, if if you do what God says, preach the whole counsel of God. Genesis 1, 1 to Revelations 22, 21. If you'll do that, um, you don't have to apologize because all you're doing is delivering God's words. And, uh, you know, and, and the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So let's just say what God says, because that's really, I think, the antidote to fixing the problems we have in our nation. Amen. That is the word. And, uh, well, interestingly enough, uh, I've noticed in our churches uh, wokeism. You know, a, a lot of churches are, instead of telling people, where the lines of morality lie, they have their finger in the air seeing which way the wind is blowing and uh, and following that wind. And this seems like a pretty significant departure because when uh, Alexis de Tocqueville came here, one of the things that he talked about were the churches and how they were the beacons of morality and how that was something that really fortified the population. And what do you think about that? 
No, you're absolutely right. I think that was the thing that impressed him most. And I read a an article in a Boston newspaper from the early 1800s that made the statement that people went to the churches to get the updates on news and what was going on in their society. They went there because they could not, they did not feel they could believe the, the, uh, the paper, so to speak. In other words, they didn't believe what the media was saying. You know, nowadays uh, we have pastors that aren't even willing to open the word of God and say what God says, much less talk about current events. And, you know, we, it's, it's become a popular thing and it is, it's a fad for, for pastors and churches to just what they quote unquote call just stay neutral. And, uh, you know, for instance, a good topic would be that of abortion. A lot of pastors won't say much about it anymore because, you know, I've, and this is what I've heard quoted from pastors. You know, we have people on both sides of the aisle in our church, so we don't want to offend anybody. And I'm thinking the only one we need to worry about offending is God himself. And we know what God says. He hates the shedding of innocent blood. And, you know, we, I'm, 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 I know that God's word is very firm uh, on where God stands with that. And so, you know, we've got to get back to that. And, and churches um, are very much to blame. And, you know, pastors are, um, are discouraged at a higher rate than they've been in a long time. They're, they're leaving the ministry. Um, some of them leaving their faith. And that's the one thing that I think bothers me is, if you really truly have a faith, I mean, if you're really walking with God, how can you leave that? Um, I can understand having a ministry is not always easy. It's difficult. You know, you mentioned earlier um, about having a, uh, I think it was a psychologist or something on and, you know, the the rate of depression and um, addiction, all that is, is, is just, it's flying. It's soaring high right now. And people are really discouraged. And the, the thing that they need is hope. And the only way to find true hope is in Jesus Christ. And so the question then becomes, if the church house isn't going to be that beacon of hope to shed, to share the truth, then who is? Um, and, you know, and that's what's sad. And, and now we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing uh, people who speak the truth being attacked for doing that because for so long the church has been silent on proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to be right back with uh, Pastor Ben Graham to continue this fascinating discussion. Stay with us. We'll be back in one minute. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And we're back with common sense. You know, as I always say, common sense isn't common anymore. But if we all begin to speak up for what we believe, I believe common sense will return. You know, uh, Pastor, there's a lot of Christian leaders today who avoid anything that even smells like politics. They just don't want to get involved. Uh, you got involved uh with President Trump's uh, White House Faith and Opportunity Forum, and you've been involved in a number of local 
political situations as well. Uh, why did you decide to get involved when it would be so easy just to stay on the sidelines? I think part of it is just I was taught at a young age um, as pastors, it's important. You know, one of the things we started pastors groups in uh, about 13 different states, uh, including here in Tennessee. Um, one of the things that we did was is we taught the pastors, if you don't know who your local officials are, your mayors, your city council, your school board members, if you don't know who they are until there's a problem, that's a problem. You ought to know who they are. Whether you agree or disagree, you ought to build a relationship with them. Let them know you're praying for them. Sometimes you have to say, hey, I disagree. I mean, uh, a few months ago, I had to go to our school board here in our county. It's supposed to be a conservative county and, and uh, really lay out my disappointment in them allowing certain books into the library and some of the things that they were pushing. And one of the things I noticed is, you know, I was the last one on the docket that night to speak to them. There was probably 30 people that addressed the school board, some of them with some of the same issues, some different but most of the school board members, you know, one or two would look up and watch and the rest of them. But when they introduced me as a pastor and they all know who I am and I came up, every one of them looked at me the entire time and listened to what I had to say. And it's not because of me personally, but it's because I think as a pastor, there's some weight to that. They know I represent a congregation. They know that, um, you know, they, they know that we represent people who are going to be the ones voting them in. And so, you know, it's so important that pastors, you know, really get in, engaged and I actually was uh, invited to um, to the White House um, with um, I was before that I was involved very heavily in Tennessee politics and, you know, had meetings with our former governor. And then even our uh, current governor has has been to our church and other political leaders have been to our church to speak, but had meetings with um, the former governor and legislators trying to do what I could to help encourage, sometimes pray for them, sometimes uh, help sway them to to make sure they're going the right direction and not not about my opinion but following god's word and and uh, you know some of them they they claim to be believers so let's make sure our actions are matching up with with what god says um but i got invited a group of us got invited pastors to tennessee uh, from tennessee to the white house uh matter of fact i think a young man that you may know um jason crab uh he went and filled in for his brother uh, Aaron, who's a pastor here. And, and, uh, I know they were big supporters of, of, of you when you were running for president. And, um, Jason, uh, was one of, of about 40 pastors and that we all went there and they laid out their initiative. This is what we're trying to do, uh, to really involve faith in our administration. And I was so moved by that. And I said, how can I get involved? And so at the time they had talked to me about maybe being a director and, one of the fake directors set me down and said, look, don't do that because you're a pastor. You own companies. Just just kind of be a liaison. And, and you know, if you if you get paid by the government, there's certain you know restrictions, things you got to do. And they said, you'll be more free. And and so we prayed about it. And I said, well, I just want to be involved because uh, I felt that administration was really doing some things. And one of the you know, one of the uh, staff for um, President Trump, you know, said he he's no Sunday school teacher, but he surrounded himself with a lot of them. And, and, and that was true. There was faith was very involved within that administration. And, and I just wanted to be a part no, of that. When, no, as, as you say, you know, he talked about faith a lot. He brought it up many times when we were together alone. And, um, well, and I, you know, it's, it's interesting that a lot of people said to me, how can you serve with such an irreligious man and a man who curses and does all these things? But uh, isn't it true that in the Bible, God used all kinds of people to further his causes? And you look at somebody like David, who, who murdered and did all kinds of things. 
God said he's a man after my own heart. You know, President Trump signed more executive orders for religious liberty than mm -hmm. everybody else put together. Uh, so I, I think we need to be a little careful when we start judging people. Uh, well, you know, I, we just absolutely. do what you know. Absolutely. So, he, and, so, you know, the thing is, is beforehand, I was concerned, you know, knowing his history, uh, you know, where he was going to stand. He was definitely uh, leaned uh, a different direction, you know, up until running. But I was very impressed with um, not only some of the things that he passed, but the people he involved. And I found myself I was in El Salvador and I was with a group of about 60 Hispanic pastors who all pastor in the D.C. area in the, you know, Maryland and Virginia and and we were talking one day and and uh, one of them was telling me uh, President Obama had come by his house to congratulate his son. He'd won some kind of award in high school. And so we're talking. I'm thinking, OK, maybe this guy's an Obama fan. And we get to talk a little more. And he goes, no. He goes, you know, he said, I'm, I'm probably more middle of the road. But uh, and I said, well, what do you think about Trump? And he goes, I just man, he scares me. And I said, well, why does he scare you? Well, you know, I've heard he's this and I've heard he's that. And that was a lot of people are based on what they see in the media. And I said, have you ever been to the White House? And he said, no. And I said, if I could get an invitation for you to go, would you go? And he said, man, I'd love to. Well, we ended up bringing about 80 of those Hispanic pastors from that region into the White House. And they got to hear about what was going on in the faith team and meet some of the faith directors and all that. And I look over midway through this and many of them are crying and just they were impressed with that. And so I, I don't know. And, and people ask me this sometimes, too. I don't know if President Trump fully understood everything he was doing, but it was phenomenal to see what was happening. And that's where I go based on what his actions were, not his past actions. You know, one day I was there for an executive signing and I told him we shook hands and I said, my dad wanted me to tell you something if I could. And I said, you know, he's a pastor, right? And he said, yeah. I said, he wanted me to tell you, he doesn't, he loves everything you're doing, but he doesn't always like the language you use. And he gave me that look like, you know, uh, punk, what are you about to say? You know, I said, but he wanted me to tell you, if he had to deal with some of the people like you did, he might swear too, you know, and he just started laughing and thought that was funny. And it was just kind of my way of trying to, for my dad's sake, just trying to subtly say, keep up the good work, but you know, you're trying to encourage him. I, I, yeah, there's things I'd like for him to have done differently, but you know, I, I asked people, would you rather have somebody that's a little crasp, but that's really doing things for religious freedom, or would you rather have somebody that's so eloquent and polished, but is doing everything against religious freedom, you know, and I think that's something a lot of pastors just don't understand is, you know, I plan on preaching the gospel, even if tomorrow they say we're going to arrest you if you do that. But I would much rather be in a place where I don't have to worry about that. I'd rather have the freedom. And that's what we have here in America as of now. And I want to keep fighting for that. Well, speaking of freedom, have you ever been the, the victim of cancel culture? And what counsel do you have for those people who have the right beliefs, but they'd rather stand in the corner and stare at the floor than to say anything and possibly get canceled. Yeah, no, I have. I, you know, for a long time, I couldn't keep a Twitter account. Um, and finally, I gave up on it. Um, at, at one time, it was my largest social media uh, following. And uh, I don't know, it was a while after Elon Musk took over, I opened one up and I may have 50 people following on me. I just, I, it's not a thing for me anymore like it was because you know, I got so frustrated multiple times with that. I've had people who've um, come after us. My my family went through a, a pretty credible death threat um, a couple years ago, and the police had to spend uh, almost a week uh, around our house and following us everywhere. And, and uh, 
um, you know, we've been through some of those things where, you know, you don't know for sure um, when this particular guy was threatening us, you know, it was, you know, he knew stuff about our house and about our church that you can't find on social media. And, and, you know, so we said, maybe we should check this out. We called the sheriff's department and they track his phone and it comes back as, you know, uh, legit. And, you know, they, it was crazy, but I think for me, uh, and there is that moment as a pastor where I've said, you know, it would be, it would be nice to, to just, you know, stay neutral and, and, you know, not have to worry about ruffling any feathers. You know, it's like when I started pastoring, um, when I started pastoring, uh, the, the church I did in New York, I got there and the former pastor had, had been older and he was sick and the church had kind of just coasted. And I remember for the first couple of weeks thinking I could just, you know, just put a little effort into it. I could go golf once a week. I could just coast and, you know, it would be great. No big deal. And I remember thinking, that's not why God put me here. You know, life is short. We have so little time to to make an impact for Christ. And that's how I feel about this cancel culture is, you know, it's not about being popular. If you're living, if you're in ministry to be popular, you, you know, you're certainly doing the wrong, the wrong business. And it's not. And even with us getting into the film aspect, you know, the reason I'm doing that is because it's, enlarge our outreach, but I've never shied away from being a pastor. I've never shied away from, you know, I go to sets now and, and I'm sure not everybody is, is, uh, where I'm at, you know, when it comes to my political views, but they'll get on set and they'll be like, Oh, can I follow you on Instagram? Well, sure. And then they'll look up, Oh, you're a pastor. Yeah. Well, what usually happens is I become a counselor on set. They don't even know I have a degree in counseling, but I become a counselor on set because so many people are broken and they're looking for hope. And, you know, and so I tell people, you can stand up for truth and right without being obnoxious. You know, I, I don't go to everybody that disagrees with me and yell in their face. What I try to do is offer hope. And I think one of the things that taught me this, I was in Salt Lake uh, City, Utah some years ago, and I saw some some quote unquote Christians outside of the Mormon Tabernacle and they had all these signs saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Well, that's all they were preaching. And so it bothered me. So I walked up to one of them. I said, hey, have you ever thought about giving the rest of the message? And they said, well, what's the rest of the message? And I said that you don't have to go to hell. I said, everybody's destined for hell that doesn't know Christ, but you don't have to preach that. And so, you know, sometimes I think um, where we fell, uh, even on the right side, is people are good at yelling at everybody about what they disagree with and, and all that. But we, we don't we don't do very good at giving solutions. I, I'm not divisive just to be divisive. Uh, matter of fact, I try not to be divisive. What I am is I'm willing to stand for my faith and I'm willing to stand for truth, but I'm also willing to uh, do that in love and, and try to help encourage people. You know, if if I'm not reaching people, then I'm really not doing my job. And so there's a lot of people, you know, them as well. They, they have big followings because they bash everybody and everything, but they're not really converting anybody. They're just they're just gathering all the people that feel just like they do. And I think it's more about reaching people. And so there's a proper balance in that is I stand for truth. I'm not going to compromise, but I also want to do my best to try to reach people and help them see the truth. Hey, man, you know, there's there's so many people who give God a bad reputation with all this fire and brimstone stuff. Uh, the fact of the matter is he's the most loving individual imaginable. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody's not going to heaven, it's because they wouldn't be happy there. 
if you would be happy in heaven, he will find a way to save you. <laughs> he will give you opportunities and you will take advantage of them. But what would be more miserable than being in a place that you didn't want to be forever? So he's too kind to do that to anybody. And that's what we have to really understand, that he is a God of love, not a God of vengeance. But we will be back in one minute. We're going to hear a little bit about the Graham Family Film Organization and what's going on with that. We'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we're back with Common Sense. We have a fascinating guest, Pastor Ben Graham. And uh, Pastor, let me just ask you about the Graham Family Films. How did that get started? That seems an unlikely place to go. Well, um, I, I, a couple of places. First off, I was in my first movie when I was 11, uh, really by accident as an actor and then did some theatrical stuff in high school and college. And then when we moved to, to Tennessee 12 years ago, we got invited to be uh, a participate in a movie and we were there on set. My wife and I are two older boys. We're on set. And they asked me, they said, Hey, listen, um, we know you're a preacher, but would you be, would you be able to play a Catholic priest? And I, I said, bless you, my son. I think I got it. You know, and they said, we need, we need, we need somebody to fill this role. And the guy was going to can. And I was like, okay, sure. Well, I get there the next day and they're like, you know what? None of us on set, none of the cast or crew are Catholic. You know, you could just be a preacher. Can you handle that? I'm like, I can definitely do that. You know? And so it got me back in the film. And then the, uh, two weeks later, we got asked to do a commercial, our entire family, and it just started snowballing and, and God brought in about four or five different filmmakers into our church. And we started doing all these projects. And and one of the things that Billy uh, did back in the day was, you know, he reached people through movies and uh, did multiple uh, films, uh, multiple productions. And so we started talking about that. And I have uh, I have four brothers. Uh, three of them are also senior pastors. And, you know, we started talking about starting our own company. And we wanted to do good family films. Now, we were going to do faith-based films, but they weren't going to all be faith-based. We just wanted good family content, entertainment that people could watch as a family and really enjoy. And so we launched Graham Family Films um, probably about eight or nine years ago. And um, God just began to open the doors. And within a year, we got asked uh, by Netflix to to consider joining them and helping with their their what they called family content. Um, we got, we got asked by Walmart's voodoo platform, multiple other platforms. And we were really careful about saying yes to anything. Cause we wanted to kind of grow our way into that and just started making movies. And, you know, we did, uh, some good family films like this, this newer one, Christmas at Keystone. We also did, uh, strong faith ones like the one that uh, came out, uh, this summer called pardoned by grace, which is a true story of a guy that was arrested. Um, uh, he was arrested 32 times and, uh, just an incredible story of Scott who, 
um, God really, uh, you know, used his his life to not only uh, help so many other people who are in and out of prison, but battling addiction. And so, you know, we dealt with that in this in the movie Pardoned by Grace. And and we've got a plethora of films uh, that we're doing over the next couple of years. We just uh, a few weeks ago uh, did the soundtrack for a Christmas movie that we're filming in 24. Uh, we already got the soundtrack done with the Italian orchestra and we're trying to make good content. Um, and some of, some of the films we, we may do, we kind of do the reverse of Hollywood. Hollywood for years will have a great film, but they'll put one little thing in for their agenda. And we've kind of done that in reverse where we're doing good, good, strong films, but we just kind of put something in there that provokes people to think. And, you know, and it reminds you of the scripture talks about, you know, some plant, some water, God gives the increase. And so some of these films, we're just planting a seed. Some of them we're, we're laying out, you know, uh, the full gospel, but just trying to do projects that can encourage, inspire and help people. Well, obviously you're finding that there, there really is a, a niche in the marketplace uh, for wholesome films because Hollywood has become so secular. You know, there was a time when, you know, they had the seal of good practice and they had all these things and they were supposed to bring some moral content and the good people were supposed to win. <laughs> and all of that kind of disappeared in 1968 and and subsequently. Uh, but you're finding that, that there is an appetite for this out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think even... You could take a movie and I mean, there was a little bit of uh, uh, a couple things that happened. I think it started on, but even a movie like Sound of Freedom, which is, you know, um, I met Jim several years ago, Jim Caviezel. And um, when, you know, he first talked to me about this project, maybe three and a half years ago, um, they were having a tough time getting it out. Um, but even a movie like that, that not necessarily faith based, but it's a it's a it's a it's something that's really happening. And, you know. There, people are looking for stuff that that shares the truth. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people still want just good entertainment, and sometimes you, when you've had a rough day, you want to watch something that's just entertaining and and isn't, um, you know, maybe doesn't scare you to death. I mean, Sound of Freedom is one of those. It's really happening, and so that puts some, you know, some anxiety when when people watch that. And I think you need both, but we're finding people are hungry for that. Uh, this this most recent movie, and I'll tell you what's been really, uh, there's two things I'm proud about with Christmas at Keystone. One is uh, my wife got to co-star in it with me, um, and her and I, it's the, we've done some movies, but it's the first time we've got to do a project like this where we're the, you know, kind of the love interest, and, and that was a lot of fun. But then two... I wrote a song for the movie and they ended up putting it in, in the opening credits. And so uh, that was really special. But the thing that has encouraged me is all the people that I've heard from that said, this is a Christmas movie we can watch year after year. You know, well, I feel like we did our job. You know, that's the goal is to put some good things. We have some great, uh, some great characters in Christmas at Keystone, people like Kevin Sarbo, who, you know, he claims to be the original uh, cancel culture from Hollywood and, and probably is and uh, Corbin Burnson and others. But we, you know, we want to make projects like this that people can just enjoy as a family. But then we also want to do those those reality, hard hitting, truthful projects as well, like Sound of Freedom did, uh, because people also need to be woke up. A lot of people are, you know, their their heads are buried in the sand. They, um, I think, they think if I don't acknowledge that there's a problem, it'll go away. 
And, you know, and, and we can see that the, so many things that we have in our society today are not being fixed because nobody's willing to acknowledge there is a problem. Well, there's a, a plethora of Christmas movies out, but uh, the vast majority of them take Christ out of Christmas. What, uh, what right. do you hope people get out, out of this movie? Well, I think it's important, obviously, um, you know, with without Christ, there is no Christmas. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people struggle with 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 the season. They don't understand what the what the true reason is. I just uh, last week was in the Charlotte area, you know, really preaching on this um, out of Isaiah 9, 6. And, you know, um, talking about how he is, you know, he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. And and, you know, he's really the reason for the season. And so a lot of people maybe put their they, they hope Christmas is going to be successful because the family get together is going to go just perfect. Or some people, uh, you know, like maybe especially young people think if I just get this gift, it's going to make Christmas perfect. And, you know, they're looking for all the wrong reasons oftentimes for what Christmas is about. And so I, I pray at the end of it all with this movie that, you know, they'll find that there is hope. Uh, but my particular character in this movie, John, is a businessman who, um, you know, he, his wife had died and he's just struggling, uh, with life, but he's staying busy by working. And I think one of the things that we understand, and this is for any parent, especially dads, we all want to provide for our children. We want to give them the best life possible, especially if you come from a background where maybe you come from a family that struggled a little bit, you want to give them the best. But I always want to remind dads, the best thing you can ever give your children is just your time to be with them. Uh, your presence is the most important thing you can ever give them. And so that's kind of what comes out a little bit in this movie is that there's more to life than work. Uh, there's more to life than than just staying busy, doing your job. And we know the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. Work is important, but it's it's not the most important thing. And one of the things somebody challenged me years ago to do, and I've strived to do this, is every week I make a priority list. Sunday afternoon, I make my priority list for the week. My number one priority is my relationship with God. What am I doing to improve that? My number two priority is my relationship with my wife. And what what time have I set aside this week for her? And then number three is my children and then so on. And I think it's important. We need to prioritize what's most important and make sure that we are um, we are putting time, spending time to develop that so that it will always be the most important to us. Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And. You know, I'm so grateful that there are people like you who are courageous enough to actually get out there and do something because, you know, God has obviously given you a lot of talent. And I want to ask you, where can people actually watch the Christmas at Keystone? It's available on Amazon Prime, on YouTube. Uh, it's on DirecTV and uh, on Dish. Um, and it's on, I think, Voodoo. It's on a plethora of platforms. A lot of times with your smart device, you can just uh, type in Christmas at Keystone. Keystone is spelled K-E-E-S-T-O-N-E, and uh, you can find it. But um, it's on there. And, and also, um, you can go to our website, GrahamFamilyFilms.com, um, or my personal website, PastorBenGraham.com, and find out more information on there as well. And, and why is... Uh film production a good way to spread the gospel do you think these days well i tell you um i was in a film you mentioned uh when you was reading the bio a, a movie called fearless faith and the executive producer he called me this was probably a year and a half ago and he said the movie had gotten pirated onto youtube 
And I was like, oh, man, I said, you know, what are you doing? Are you, you getting it off? How, how's that going? Because sometimes sometimes it's hard to get those things taken down when somebody pirates them on there. And he said, no, he said, that's not what I called. He said, you got to listen to this. And he starts reading me just note after note after note after note from people in, in the Middle East, people in South America. Uh, uh, there was people in Pakistan, which Pakistan's not really open uh, much to the gospel, but um, he's reading me these notes of people saying, I watched this movie and, you know, I gave my life to the Lord. I watched this movie and it, it changed my life. This movie moved me. It touched me. And then I asked him, I said, so what are you going to do? And he said, man, this is more important than making money. He's like, we're leaving it up. This is why we did this to reach people. And what I find is sometimes um, you can get people to watch a movie that would never step foot into a church. And so what we're doing is we're just taking the outreach outside the church walls. And I think this is probably one of the problems with so many churches is, you know, we kind of um, expect the world to just walk into the church to to get everything fixed. Uh, you know, maybe there was a time where, you know, I think in society, people knew if they were struggling spiritually, they knew they needed to go to church. I don't know if that's really the case now. I think um there's so many uh, churches that, you know, have built a bad reputation that people are afraid. And I think, you know, part of what we're doing is trying to get the the gospel out and get the word out through the film. And of course, ultimately, we want to still see them come to church, but we're trying to find ways to to get outside the walls to reach them, go and compel them, um, if you will, to the highways and hedges and compel them. And so we're finding that films is doing a great job of that. Uh, people uh, tune into movies and and you know, even through like Amazon Prime, um, you know, Amazon's not necessarily going, hey, we want all these faith based movies on our platform. Uh, that's probably not their target, uh, their target films, but they allow us to put them on there. And what we find is oftentimes people were searching and ran across it and started watching it. And we've had people write us notes, email us, telling us they watched the movie and it, you know, made an impact on their life. I was sitting at a restaurant a while back and a elderly lady waved at me and I didn't know who she was. I thought maybe, you know, uh, she'd heard me speak or something. I wave at her. Well, a few minutes later, she comes over and she said, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I watched your movie last night. And she said, I was in tears. I was so moved. And, and it's just things like that, that really is encouraging uh, that we're reaching people outside of our church walls and people that we don't even know. And, and uh, it's been exciting to see how God's using that. Well, it's exciting to see how God's using you in so many different ways. And uh, do you have a, a final word for our audience? Well, first off, I just want to say it's a pleasure to be on here with you. You're one of my uh, one of my heroes, one of the people I look up to. I love what you've done, both in the medical world, but also in the political world. And uh, you know, the fact that you've uh, uh, always let faith be front and center uh, in what you do. And so, thank you for that. And to everyone watching, I just want to encourage y'all, maybe somebody's going through some uh, time of depression, maybe you're disappointed, maybe this year you have a family member that's not here anymore, and uh, you don't know how this year is going to be uh, a good Christmas. I just want to remind everyone that we always have hope in Jesus Christ, and uh, He's on the throne. And uh, and so, you know, keep your head up. just remember that, uh, uh, you know, that joy comes in the morning and we keep trusting God that uh, he's going to be faithful. And uh, you know what? As bad as things have gotten in our society, 
Uh, I'm thankful for this because somebody said one time, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, first off, God don't have to apologize to anybody. But secondly, I believe there's still more than 10 righteous. God would have spared that city for 10 righteous. There's still a lot of people who are striving to live for God and serve God. And if we can continue to to do what God's called us to do, I still believe there's hope for us seeing a revival in our nation and God doing something great. And if we don't see a nationwide revival, maybe we'll see it in our community. If we don't see it there, maybe we see it in our homes and our families and our own individual lives. So just keep trusting God. And uh, he's not surprised at anything that's going on. And he's still in control. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you for that good word, Pastor. It was fantastic. May, may God bless your ministry and uh, keep up the wonderful work. We'll be praying for you. Thank you. you enjoyed that conversation with Pastor Ben Graham, see the wonderful things that are going on in his ministry. And uh, for your prescription for the week, go out and watch that movie, Christmas at Keystone, and make sure you spend time with your loved ones over this Christmas season. Because as he said, your presence is more important than any present. And just enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, enjoy this holiday season, and recharge your batteries and remember the things that are really important in life. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, make sure you subscribe for free, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Don't miss any episodes. Rate us, review us, spread the word about us. We have to actually keep spreading the word until common sense is common once again. And remember the cornerstones. Faith, liberty, community, and life. We'll see you in next season. Take care. <laughs>